0: Hello, I'm Christine Dark. According to various biblical signposts, we are drawing closer and closer to what the Bible calls the last days. And there's a fierce debate underway. Does the Bible predict there will be a great end-time revival sweeping the world before the second coming? Matthew chapter 24 is the Lord's comprehensive end-time briefing. He mentioned a whole litany of end-time signs, false prophets, false messiahs, wars, earthquakes, famine, the persecution of God's people, moral decay of society, a great apostasy or falling away from the true faith, the rebirth of Israel, the rise of the Antichrist, the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple, but a final outbreak of anti-Semitism, and unprecedented destruction on a worldwide scale. So end time prophecies speak of both great outpourings of God's Spirit, but also a great apostasy, the falling away from the faith. We have to keep this balance in mind. Let me share some contrasting verses. First of all, the prophet Joel prophesied and the passages repeated in the book of Acts, Even on my servants, both men and women, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit in those days, the Lord says, and they will prophesy. This assures us of great end-time outpourings. And in my lifetime, we've seen tremendous moves of God all over the world. Some of the most remarkable being in the Middle East, where literally through the divine agencies of Holy Spirit dreams and visions, Jesus is showing himself to be alive. Muslim men and women have become believers and followers of Jesus. There have also been great harvests of souls through the stadium evangelists, such as Reinhard Banca, with whom my husband and I were privileged to work for a number of years in Africa and in his remarkable international gospel campaigns. Christian television, radio broadcasts are also responsible the Internet, for untold numbers of souls receiving a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Yet, Bible prophecy tells us there will also be a great falling away, a great departure from the faith. And we have certainly witnessed this with many of the mainline Christian denominations rejecting basic biblical tenets of the faith, refusing sound doctrine and even embracing Doctrines of demons. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Know this also, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. We're seeing that and so forth. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. Paul said, from such turn away. So also Rabbi Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, did not predict a great end-time revival. Instead, he prophesied that days preceding Messiah's return will be characterized by the influence of the spirit of the Antichrist, whose coming will be in accord with the activity of Satan, with power signs, false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so to be saved. And for that reason, God will send upon them a strong delusion so that they might believe what is false in order that they may be judged for disbelieving the truth and taking pleasure in wickedness. Again, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles warned in 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, some not all, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Even Jesus asked in Luke eighteen eight. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, let's hope we're going to keep our revival fires burning and that he finds genuine faith in you and me. The book of Revelation grants us astonishing details of the last days and it doesn't paint a picture of a powerful, faithful church bringing in the kingdom of God. Jesus will do that. Yes, during the Great Tribulation, there will be a harvest of souls, but it will come at a tremendous price. The first three chapters of the book of Revelation describe the history of the church through Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Asia. Many eschatologists believe the rapture of the church is portrayed after the church age in Revelation 4.1. I want to read that to you. The apostle John wrote, After these things, in other words, after the portraits of the seven churches and after the church age, John said, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven and the first voice that I heard like a trumpet was speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you what will take place after these things. In other words, after the church age and there follows a great multitude so large that no one could count it. A multitude from every nation and all tribes, peoples, and languages coming to a saving faith in Messiah during that period up through chapter 19. This is the Great Tribulation. This multitude is described in chapter 7. But at that time, the Antichrist will make war with those who are born again on earth, and many will be martyred because of their testimony about Yeshua And because they refuse to worship the Antichrist or who will receive the mark that he wants to impose on their forehead or hand, that he will seek to impose in order to do financial transactions. Meanwhile, on this side of the rapture, all lovers of God are being refreshed and encouraged by the revivals in the American state of Kentucky, beginning in Ashbury University, which has had a history of awakenings and revivals. In February, 1970, there were 144 hours of unbroken meetings at Ashbury. The Jesus movement had begun a year or two earlier, accelerated dramatically by Ashbury teams who went across the country and in many places, spiritual awakening broke out as a result. I recalled a revival in Ashbury in 2006, Every revival there has begun in the winter, in February or March. Most have been short-lived, although the overall impact has often been of a lasting nature. I think it's fitting that Asbury University was named for a great man of God, English-born Francis Asbury, who was summoned to preach in America by the great Methodist founder John Wesley. During Asbury's 45-year ministry in America, he traveled on horseback, or in carriage an estimated 300,000 miles, delivering more, almost 17,000 sermons. He was so well known in America that letters addressed to him were sent to just Bishop Asbury in the United States. He was a gifted organizer of circuit riders. They were preachers who traveled by horseback from church to church to minister in rural areas. Asbury ordained 4,000 Methodist preachers and launched five schools. He also promoted Sunday schools. The is associated with America's second great awakening, Charles Finney, defined revival as the return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. Well, the word revive is used in various contexts in the Bible, most of all pointing a living relationship with god revive means to quicken to bring back to life as in psalm 119 verse 88 asking the lord revive me according to your loving kindness the hebrew word sometimes translated revive is strong's 24 21 chaya meaning to live this divine quickening is our supreme need to keep our faith fresh and alive vibrant. Through the years, I've been a student of historic revivals. I've witnessed many revivals under the ministry of my mentors, and I myself helped to lead a revival in Arabia during the 1990s. From all I've learned and experienced, the characteristic of a true revival is that people come under terrible conviction of sin, and all resistance to repentance is broken down by the manifest presence of God. In fact, the outstanding features of spiritual awakenings are the profound consciousness of the presence of God and especially the holiness of God. The hindrance to revival is teachers and churches that promote the error of replacement theology, claiming that God is finished with the Jewish people and claiming falsely that the Jews have no future revival. You see, if a person believes that God broke covenant with the Jewish people, that means they may claim to be a believer, but they don't really know this Bible from cover to cover. And their knowledge of God is therefore limited. At the Jerusalem Prep Breakfast in Houston, Texas, one of the speakers was my friend and fellow broadcaster, Brian Sanders, who has a website called, Why Stand With Israel? At the conference, Brian shared some recent Lifeway Christian research showing how much the church is ignorant on Israel. And if churches are ignorant, then their whole trajectory concerning eschatology, the end times, is wrong. According to the survey, 72% of Bible believers say they wish they knew more what the Bible teaches concerning Israel's future. I was shocked at 72%. That shows how much Israel is not being taught in our churches, seminaries, and Bible colleges. And this was very troubling. 63% of believers in the survey said they don't believe the Bible promises that the Holy Land still belongs to the Jewish people, as bequeathed to them by God in an eternal covenant. That disbelief means the majority of churchgoers are accepting other sources for their worldview of truth rather than this Bible. 32% or a third of believers say they have no strong views about the state of Israel. Apparently, these professing Christians are easily swayed by the left, by the mainstream media, or by other potentially anti-Semitic groups or influencers, rather than the nation of Israel that uniquely belongs to God. And only 4% of the Christians surveyed said they had been influenced by their local church on the topic of Israel. That, to me, was mind-boggling. Think about that. God sent Jesus to Israel and its eternal capital. Jerusalem is referenced in the Bible more than any other city as the city of God, the city of the great king. And Jerusalem is destined to be the future capital of the world according to Isaiah chapter 2, which proclaims the law is going to go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that's going to happen when Messiah Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. Then all the world's leaders will be subject to King Messiah, and he will be fully enthroned as king of kings here on earth on King David's throne. And most shocking of all in the survey, only 2% of believers said that they've learned about Israel from national Christian leaders. Again, this is proof that end-time prophecies about Israel are not being taught in our churches, seminaries, and Bible colleges. In the New Testament, the little book of Jude exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. And who are we earnestly contending against. Well, of course, there's a lot of false narratives out in the media, but Jude was warning against persons who creep into the churches unnoticed and bring in destructive, damnable heresies. We've been watching over the past couple of years sin increasing exponentially, dangerously. And yet, hallelujah, this word states in Romans 5, 20, that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Hallelujah. Yes, this is what we cry to God for, his grace, because we're so undeserving. How we need to petition God for the outpouring of the spirit of grace and supplications. So we pray, Zechariah twelve ten to come to pass, where God promises to pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, and supplications because it says they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for a firstborn son oh lord hasten that day pour out on the inhabitants of jerusalem that spirit of grace and supplications that by far will be the greatest end time revival when Israel is saved, can you say amen? As the prophet Daniel prayed, O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, act and forgive. Don't delay any longer, for your city and your people are called by your name. So we need to keep the revival fire stoked in our hearts. That great revivalist Finney used to say that when he felt coldness creeping into his heart, he would go out into the woods and pray until the fire of God came back into his heart. The most dangerous believer to the enemy is a person who is aglow with the Spirit of God and ablaze for the Lord and for his word, living it out, a bright shining light in a dark world. The enemy of our souls is undone by a believing believer. Unfortunately, there are plenty of unbelieving believers. Those who profess to know and serve the Lord But when it comes to certain Bible topics, they are sometimes ambivalent or agnostic. Take, for example, the important doctrine of divine healing. It's so important that we've built up our faith on this matter of divine healing and that we fully know all the healing scriptures and how to apply them. I hear so much unbelief even coming out of pulpits concerning divine healing. Here's a question that every believer must answer according to what the Bible teaches. Did Jesus heal all who came to him, or did he turn down even one individual? This is an important question because millions of people are being introduced to Jesus during the popular TV app called The Chosen. In one of the episodes, I was shocked and disappointed to see that the TV Jesus refused to heal one of his disciples. It was some sort of spiritual object lesson. While it's certainly true that not everybody has been healed throughout the history of the church, however, all, and I repeat, all, were healed who came to Jesus asking for healing during his ministry on earth. Therefore, to paint a picture of Jesus telling a disciple to keep his infirmity is not an accurate portrayal of Jesus in the New Testament. Many persons with major afflictions, loss of limbs, We're blessed, no doubt, by that portrayal, but I want you to consider this topic because what we know about Jesus' willingness to heal is highly important. In Mark 1.40, a leper came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. The text says literally in the next verse, Jesus was indignant because he reached out his hand and touched the man saying, I am willing, be healed. He cared so much he touched that leper and he said, I want to heal you. Immediately the leprosy left and he was cleansed. Jesus' response forever silences the issue of his willingness. If if Jesus had turned down just one person who came to him asking for healing, then we could forever doubt his willingness to heal us we could put a limitation on Jesus. However, the record says Jesus never turned away a single individual who came to him and asked for healing. There could have been others in his day who were not healed, but the record says that all who came to him or who were brought to him by others, they were all healed. End of story. So while we may enjoy the acting in the movie sets, let's beware of any narrative of Jesus turning down a disciple who came to him asking to be healed. To say no, keep your infirmity, I trust you with it. That, my friend, is not the Jesus of the New Testament. Truth is more important than fiction. The New Testament teaches us to be a Berean. Who were the Jews who lived in Berea? an ancient city in Macedonia in northern Greece. Well, in Acts 17.11, the Berean Jews did not just blindly accept Paul's preaching about Jesus. Rather, they diligently checked the scriptures to see if what Paul was proclaiming lined up with God's word. God still expects serious believers to study for ourselves what the Bible says. We are to be like the members of the synagogue at Berea, who the book of Acts records, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were as Paul stated. The word of God was the Bereans' yardstick. The Hebrew Bible was their litmus test. So when it comes to the TV dramas, let's not be deceived even by an appealing portrait of Jesus. If the Jesus that is being portrayed is another Jesus, than the Jesus of the New Testament. We must be true to this word and not be starstruck. I hope I can hear somebody say amen out there. Also, I have to say this. When someone points out incorrect doctrine, they're often told to focus on the positive as if doctrinal error can just be swept under the carpet. But Galatians 5.9 says false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I've seen over the decades sound doctrine being watered down, diluted to the point that Christianity today is often just people having their own personal experiences, not necessarily guided by sound doctrine and this word of truth. We must not emphasize experiences over sound doctrine. In Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus issued this warning, See to it that no one misleads you. The repetition of this warning three times in this chapter underscores the seriousness of the matter. False messiahs, false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. But the Lord's emphasis upon the word many indicates Deception will involve multitudes. We heard a media expert speaking at the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast in Houston, Texas, and she said that statistically, a study has proven that the average reader is not able to discern fake news from the real facts. Because the Bible says that the Antichrist and his false prophet will perform lying wonders, people who want not to be deceived must develop and pray for discernment. In 2 Timothy 3.8, Paul makes a remarkable observation. He wrote that just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so false teachers also oppose the truth. Well, who were Janus and Jambres? They were the magicians in Pharaoh's court in the book of Exodus, who satanically duplicated, but only up to a point, The miracles that God performed through Moses. So Rabbi Paul warns that the last day's opposition to truth will be accompanied by demonstrations of satanic power. Surely our great need is to have courage to find strength, resolution, and steadfast determination to walk boldly during these dangerous days. Thank God we're not alone. We can sleep well at night because God is on his throne and Bible prophecy is sure. And Jesus promised us comfort, help, and strength by the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit would be called alongside us to comfort us on our life's journey. The English verb comfort literally means to give strength. From come, meaning with, and fortis, meaning strong. To give strength. An idea expressed also by the verb encourage, that is to put heart core within the soul. According to the Hebrew for Christians website, the word courage is expressed by the phrase ometz lev, meaning strength of heart, denoting an inner quality of the will rather than just mere intellect. Ometz lev means having an inner resolve, an inner passion and direction. And Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will manifest within. Literally, I will shine within that person. Hallelujah. Well, as I said recently, I call all the earthquakes birthquakes because the world is groaning. Announcing the birth pains of Messiah's soon second coming. All the signs Jesus gave us are converging and alerting us to his return. Yes, he's going to return. And that's why there's so much upheaval going on. I've given birth twice and it's a very intense experience. Once the birth pains start, they can't be stopped, delayed or postponed. And at that moment, nothing else matters. It's going to continue until the conclusion when the baby is born. Labor pains increase in intensity and frequency, and they become more intense, and the contractions come closer and closer together until the very end, when the pain is almost unbearable, and the contractions are continuous, one right after the other, until the child appears. And so Jesus used that analogy. The world is going to go through more and more calamities, perplexities, and disasters faster and faster, increasing in intensity, increasing in frequency until the very end when it will be almost unbearable, continuous, rapid fire, one right after the other. But then he will return to inaugurate a new chapter in history. The golden age of the millennial reign of king messiah the intensity and frequency of events should alert us already of the lateness of the hour and the nearness of his coming so it's my prayer today that without delaying you will make sure that you have received the lord jesus into your heart have you done that have you received jesus as your lord and savior if you say yes i rejoice If you're not sure, do not delay any longer. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Although these end times are not easy, don't forget Titus 3.13 promises us the blessed hope of the Lord's soon appearing. Have you any questions or comments? Feel free to chat with me on social media. We also invite you to visit our website, exploits.tv. You can click online to receive our weekly email, learn about our frequent Holy Land teaching tours, and where you can watch all of our videos 24-7. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app, where you can also view our entire video library. And please subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dorek. Maranatha and Shalom.
1: A new day begins over Jerusalem's Western Wall Plaza, where Jews and Christians from all over the world gather to worship, pray, and petition the God of Israel. The holy city is a unique mix of tradition history and religious fervor that makes it the center of the world through your support of the jerusalem channel we're able to present to a global audience a spiritual insight into the bible and bible prophecy that will impact your life thank you for being part of these programs to make a gift visit our website at JerusalemChannel.tv or download our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can donate by credit or debit card. Celebrate with us this ancient capital that will one day soon be the worship center of the Messiah.